In the final ending notes to the book of Revelation, Jesus begins to describe events that happen with His return. This again I want to distinguish from what happens at the end of the millennium because He says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. That speaks in terms of timing that unequivocally speaks of His return. So He's backed up from the, where He took us, where we are taken at the end of verse 5 of Revelation 22. Uh, he backs up to when He's coming and He tells us about conditions that are on the earth, the wicked will be wicked still, the righteous will be righteous still. Um, he tells us uh, that He's coming and His reward is with Him and we've looked at those. And now He goes on and He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There seems to be with the Lord a deliberate and expressed intent to make sure that we know who is speaking as opposed to when John is speaking. Now it is not that John is saying anything that will not be so and it's not that what John is saying is not ultimately valuable but there are certain affirmations. These are more like attestations at the end of a document that signify that they are spoken with the authority of the person who has the authority to make such declarations and to reveal such things. That's what we're looking at when he says, Behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And when he says, My reward is with me to give to every man according to his works. Again, we've already unpacked those. And now he identifies himself personally by the designation, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's what the book of Revelation began with when Jesus identifies Himself to John on the island of Patmos and He, he, he gives us the meaning of Alpha and Omega, the, the beginning and the end, first and the last. Much is made of this designation of the beginning and the end or the first and the last because He is the compendium of Scripture. He's the beginning and He's the conclusion of all that Scripture writes about. In the beginning when it says God said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form, void and darkness was on the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He is the waters over whom the Spirit hovers. And we see in the personification of Christ as the living water and the Word, 
interchanged in meaning but having a relevance that is specific to water and word. The point of the word is that it brings about the answer of a good conscience toward God and ushers us into the presence of God via obedience to the word. You cannot come before the living God in the filthiness of human depravity. So the water is a particular reference to being made ready, but even then we cannot come except by the way, the truth and the life. So his reminding us that he is from the beginning, he's inducing us to rely on his words even as we rely on him and causing us to trust that everything we believe in rests squarely on his affirmations. And he offers us the hope of knowing that because he was in the beginning with the Father, everything that he has averred to us is true and reliable. In his lifetime on the earth, one of the things he said was, he often said, verily, verily. The word verily is derived from the term veritas, which means truth. So truly, truly, of the truth I say to you. And when he puts himself forward now as the foundation and basis of our belief, He's saying in the words, I am Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, first, last. That is the, the, the triple response that tells us unequivocally there is no proper, there's no profit in doubting what he's telling us. It, it um, reminds me of how God signified the pre-creation covenant, the way Hebrews puts it. It says, because there was no one greater for God to swear by, He swore on oath to Himself and made us the heirs, meaning the beneficial heirs, of that which was promised. And it said, God did this oath and covenant, uh, oath and promise. God did this by two unchangeable things, two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, so that we who flee to take hope, to take hold of this hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It is firm, it is secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who has entered on our behalf, has become the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the same oath. This is the same reminder that we may rely 
upon these affirmations that are eternal in nature. Transcending time, that's what's referenced by I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning, I am the end, I am the first, I am the last. You can't get around this. Therefore the promise firmly secures your hope. That's what he's doing. That's why he's telling us. But he doesn't, he he goes on to say, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. Again, this is at the beginning of the millennium, not at the end. Um, The city is the, the city of Jerusalem to become the new Jerusalem and the dwelling place, the headquarters if you prefer, of that, that, that serves the rule of Christ and is the dwelling place of Christ on the earth upon His return. Eventually that will be replaced by the new Jerusalem when the term of the millennium has produced the final results that God intends to include the destruction of Satan, the judgment of the wicked, the destruction of demons, um, the last of whom are death and hell. When all that has been accomplished and the taint of evil has been thoroughly expunged from creation, then the new Jerusalem will come or the Jerusalem that will come will be in the fashion of the housing or the dwelling of God Himself and it will consist exclusively of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, no one else. But at the beginning of the millennium and until this eventuality has been attained, Jesus will rule. He will return from heaven at the beginning of the millennium, bringing His reward, establishing His rule and etc. And His city will be the city of Jerusalem. Obviously the presence of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, upgrades the whole earth to include upgrading Jerusalem. Jerusalem will not be the city of the Jews. Jerusalem will be the city of God on earth, Christ's headquarters. No one but Christ may claim Jerusalem as their geographic as their right to a geographic location because He established it before and named it for Himself. He established the city uh, in the days of Melchizedek as the earliest of our references 
well before there was an Abraham who had the who was the father of the Jews. And we know from scripture that Melchizedek is Shem, the first son of Noah, as well before a nation. He was living and ruling at the time of Abraham. When Abraham returned from the battle of the kings, uh, the, the king of Salem, whose titles were uh, King of Salem, Prince of Peace. This is from Hebrews chapter 7 and of course from the reference in Genesis. King of Salem is, Salem is the word for peace, shalom, the modern word, salim, the Arabic word. And Prince of Peace, he was also the possessor a holder of the title, uh, King of Righteousness. That's why the name Melchi, which is King, and Zedek, Righteousness. Melchi Zedek, King of Righteousness, Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Twin titles that was held in trust for the Lord Jesus Christ by the priest the reigning priest at the time, Shem, who held the titles in trust for the Lord Jesus Christ, who entered into covenant with God on our behalf and became both the king and the priest, the high priest and the king of righteousness. Now, when he comes back, blessed are those who keep his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Here keeping the commandments is no reference to the law as such, for he has already restated all of the law in one commandment, a new commandment, that you should love in the manner in which God Himself loves. Standard is the same for God and man. And we are told that the entirety of what God intended to accomplish amongst the Jews in the Ten Commandments and in the 631 laws constituting the Levitical Code, all of that was subsumed in the one commandment, love one another as I have loved you. The same for man as it is for God, because the standard is the same. As I have loved you, the I in person being the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. If you will keep that commandment, in fact, all of his conditioning of us, every aspect of the application of the rod of iron comes down to how we love as he loves. That would require us, you see, to redefine love 
away from sloppy sentimentality. I hear people today speaking of um, the homosexual uh, advocacy of this being, of homosexuality being love as God defines love and the gleeful pronouncement that quote-unquote love wins and I realize that's a human standard. It's a definition of love defined by a human standard. It is not by any stretch of the imagination, it is not what the Lord meant when He said, love one another as I have loved you. Love therefore is defined by the standard of God, not by some attempt to co-opt words and even granted the co-opting of words to define a concept. The fact that you may co-opt the words to define the concept does not mean you have succeeded in defining the concept because the concept remains the concept. Love remains what God says it is. As I have loved you, which is that He obeyed the Father in the macro and in the micro essentials of the requirement of love. It wasn't about Him seeking His own pleasure and defining love to facilitate His ideas of how He ought to live in the world. Anyone can choose however they want to live. I'm not against people living as they want to but call it that, at least have the decency to say this is what we're doing. But the fact that you lack the decency to accurately define it doesn't mean that the falsity of the definition holds because the judge is God Himself, not how many people we can get to agree with us in a perverse view of things that have their defined order and form in eternal principles. Now, I have said that as clearly and as unequivocally as I can, I've put that into into words. Why? Because keeping His commandments is really to evince behaviors that are indistinguishable from the way He is. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, He said. Now then, we go right on to this, blessed are those who keep the commandments that they may have, they may have the right to the tree of life. This is where it leads doesn't lead to the result you want it to lead to, defining love in a way that permits you to do whatever you want to, you fool yourself. But it does not qualify you, it does not qualify you to the right 
to the tree of life. We've talked about that already. It does not qualify you to enter the gates of this city, enter the gates into the city. You remain outside for the millennium. Outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and look at this one, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Your blood is not going to be on my head because I've plainly stated what is true according to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only one I care what he thinks of me. I could not care even slightly how and who, how people, persons rage at me for saying these things and who rages at me. It means no difference, makes absolutely no difference to me. I cannot be co-opted by earthly, transitional, human, partial, bias interpretations of Scripture. It says what it says. And I hope to be a faithful messenger of it and I hope to be configured by it so that my mind and my being is no different from what it says. Having said that, he says, I, Jesus, send my angel I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Again, you notice the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, and then I, Jesus. So he's putting his stamp of approval. You can't say, well, this is just John, you know, uh, writing uh, something that. Uh, he's not sure about. Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Keep in mind again, Jesus himself had said, no man knows the day nor the hour, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. All right? He said that. Now he is rescinding entirely that position. Is he being contradictory? No. Look how much has changed. He would deny himself if now as the risen Lord about whom this revelation consists and who has been given this revelation by the Father, he would be denying himself to say he doesn't know the day or the time or the events that will precede his return. So that he's the same yesterday, today and forever, of course that's true, but not in regards to specific things. 
because specific things change along the arc of knowing the end from the beginning. The end and the beginning are still the same. It's a still it's the story in the end that was known in the beginning. That's why he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's why. What is true comes to its fullness. And there was a time when he didn't know. That's because he was yet in his humanity to accomplish all the things that he was sent on the earth to accomplish. But now that he has, hear him say, I, Jesus, sent my angel, there was a time when no angel knew, but now the angel knows, to testify to you, so now humans know, these things in the churches. Then, as if you as if he were not being overly redundant for our sake. I am the root and the offspring of David. Where does that tie him in? A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch will come. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon him, the Spirit of wisdom knowledge, revelation, understanding, power, and the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear. This is Isaiah 11. He is the root. That He is both the, the root and the offspring of the promise that was given to David. He's the foundation of David's kingship. He's also what David's kingship was supposed to produce on the earth. The seed of Abraham by whom the nations would be blessed. As again, over and over and over, he's summarizing the scriptures for us. Root and offspring. You have to be the first and the last in order to be the root and the offspring. I'm just saying, if you're the root, you're the source, that makes you the first. If you're the offspring, you're the last, you're the result of. So he's both, root and offspring, and the bright and morning star. He certifies these things to us and then he tells us what the work of the Holy Spirit produces when he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit, he will take of what belongs to me, he will distribute it to you, all that the Father has is mine, that is why I say the Holy Spirit will take what belongs to me and distribute it to you. The faithful work, he includes the Spirit because from the beginning, from Genesis 1, 1 and following, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. The waters is Christ, the Spirit is the Spirit of the living God and they work together to ordain the revelation of God in the times and seasons set by God but retained by His own authority. 
So now the way the work of the Holy Spirit is done in the bride so much so that the bride has the same mindset as the Spirit regarding the end of the age, regarding the time of the return of the Lord. Listen, the bride will be here on the earth as well as in heaven before the Lord returns. It's from that place of being on the earth that the bride in agreement with the Spirit will call to the Lord in heaven and He will come. There will be no fear of the return of the Lord from those who are yet on the earth. There will be no hiding and desperation of them, in them, at that time of the return of the Lord. They'll confidently, motivated by the Spirit of the living God, they will confidently declare, the hour has come, just like He did on the cross when He said, my hour has come. Completely peaceful in the face of looming death when He said that. And whatever our circumstance is, as defined by the book of Revelation, we will calmly, being possessed of the mind of the Spirit, without the slightest tremor of fear or anxiety or worry, we'll agree, collectively, we will agree with the Spirit who has renewed our minds to be congruent with the mind of Christ, we'll agree and say, come Lord Jesus, it is done, it is finished. And then the Lord will say, come, I, behold I come quickly. So it says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come and let him who hears, hears what? Let him who hears the Spirit, let him who hears what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Isn't that how it began in the book of Revelation? What the Spirit is saying to the churches. We'll say it to the Lord Jesus, having heard the Spirit, we'll say, Come, Lord Jesus. And him who thirsts, thirsts, hunger and thirst after righteousness, the penultimate desire is for the Lord Himself to come. So we shall not hesitate when we are ready collectively, if we are on the earth at that time, we will not hesitate to see the Lord appear, to have Him come back. Then we may drink of all that He is to our satisfaction because whoever desires having, being thirsty, whoever desires, he may take of the water of life freely. This is what Jesus said He is, the water of life, a water that springs up into eternal life. 
That he told the woman at the well. Wow. The rest of it, he says, are warnings. Hear the words of the prophecy of this book. Don't add or delete because you don't understand. Let it stand as it is. Because the punishment for doing that is to cause others to stumble, resulting in uh, having your part taking the removal of your part in both the book of life and the holy city and from the things which were written in the book. The book of life contains the the names of the residents of the holy city. And again, finally, John speaks as he who testifies of these things, saying, Surely I'm coming quickly. Jesus is the one bearing the testimony. And then John, in agreement, as the bride might agree with the Spirit, says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And while he is waiting to come, while we're waiting on his return, I say to you, as John said to us, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I'm Sam Solon. It's been my extraordinary privilege to be allowed to speak on the subject of the book of Revelation. When I started on the edges of it, I never intended to be drawn into the depths of it, let alone to come to the very end of it and to be shown what I have been shown. I have been personally, profoundly impacted. So many things have been shown to me As you might expect, I am not the same. I have been put through the process because revelation brings you to realities that must then be formed in you. I am in a new place in the Lord where this process may be worked in me more thoroughly. But it is my hope, it is my ambition to obey every, each and every command of the Holy Spirit, particularly as they relate to that one and central command, to love as He loves. Part of this process has strengthened me immeasurably. God revealed to me that I had been freed from the fear of death. 
but I am living in a reality that greatly anticipates these events, not because I'm dissatisfied with my earthly life, no indeed, I've been given far more than most of my life's comforts and and supplies, but nothing compares to being involved and engulfed in these things that are yet to come. Whether I'm here as they occur or I'm brought back with the Lord from heaven at the beginning of that millennial period. If if I've died, my spirit and soul will be in heaven and my body will be resurrected from the dust of the earth with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and I'll be raised to meet the Lord in the air and come back to the earth to dwell with him first in his headquarters in the city of Jerusalem, upgraded to the standards of the divine king and then ultimately ruling and reigning with him in the millennium in the fashion that he determines based upon the rewards of rank and position. And after that, to be found as part of the bride that is a city, that is the dwelling place of God Himself, far removed from every taint of evil, to experience that ultimate reality of my existence in this earth, or my existence altogether, and that is to understand and to be part of what it means when God is all in all. I speak of of this hope to you in anticipation that you also will have such a desire for these things. And as the book ended, with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. If I am alive at the return of the Lord, I look forward to being fully in agreement with the Holy Spirit concerning the day of the Lord's return and hope to grant my assent to His coming back as one who hungers and thirsts after all these things that He is. With that then I commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and to establish you permanently in your place in the corpus of Christ amongst the sanctified. So be it. May grace and peace attend you always.
Amen. Amen.